Go ahead and uh, grab a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 20, Matthew's gospel chapter 20. Let me tell you about something next week, if you haven't heard already, uh, we've got a guest uh, preacher coming in, his name is Adrian Burden, and Adrian is an evangelist, he travels uh, all over the United States uh, sharing the gospel, and uh, the other thing about Adrian Burden is he is an African American, and so I wanted um, I wanted him to come and share with us uh, his experience with, with racism as a, um, an African-American brother in Christ and for us to just really have a listening posture to him. And he's going to really open up God's word and share with us uh, on that issue really from the, from the point of view of the gospel. So it's going to be really, really good. And I want to encourage you to, to be here or to tune in next Sunday. Everybody get it? Very good. Well, uh, in our culture today, uh, you know that there's a certain, certain people, there are certain people in our culture today that uh, really get all of the attention. There's a certain group of people that, uh, that we consider the most valuable, the, the most important, and, and really it's, it's the people that our culture considers the most beautiful or the most famous or the wealthiest or the most athletic, or just the most gifted and talented. And so if you, if you fit into one of those categories, uh, then our culture considers you valuable. They consider you a person of worth, and you're, you're very important. Now, uh, I, I don't think uh, most of us really fit into those categories, but, uh, um, but that's, that's kind of the, the view of our culture. And I, you know, I wonder if you remember back in college, or high school when you were standing next to one of those people. You guys remember this? So they're super athletic, they're, they're super talented, they're super popular, or they're super rich, and you're standing next to them, and a crowd of people come up, uh, come up to you and that person, and immediately they start talking to that person. You guys know what I'm saying? And it's like you're absolutely invisible. They can't even see you. They don't even acknowledge you. They completely ignore you. And what do you do? What's your reaction? You're like, hey guys, I'm right here. And, you know, I'm standing right here and everybody's ignoring you. Now there's a word for that. And that word is marginalization. And so when we, when we really uh, ignore someone, when we overlook someone, when we, when we take someone and we push them to the side, when we push them to the margins, we call that being marginalized, right? And it's really, it's really when we consider someone unimportant where we consider them as worthless because of something about them. That is what marginalization is and uh, it is all over our culture today. Now, what I want to I want to do this morning is I want to share with you a passage of scripture in Matthew twenty because what we're, we're going to see in this passage is a beautiful picture of Jesus' love for people. We're going to see a picture or a portrait, if you will, of how He loves people, particularly people that the world has rejected particularly people that the world has pushed aside and, and judged them as worthless or unimportant. And so you know that our culture, our society can be very cruel, it can be very unfair, and you can be marginalized for hundreds of different reasons. 
You can be marginalized because of your gender. You can be marginalized in our society because of your race, certainly. You can be marginalized in, in, in our society because of your economic standing or your education level or um, your physical disability. It, you, you can be marginalized for any number of reasons. And the thing that I, I really want us to see today is when we, re, when we begin to understand the reality of grace— the reality of the gospel of God's grace, his love, and what God has done for us, you, you, begin to see, you begin to see just how important people are in the eyes of God. That, that all people, regardless of status and race and education level and popularity, all of these external things that we judge people by, when, when, you, when you really begin to understand the gospel, you see that God loves every single person. That every single person has infinite worth and value in God's eyes. And that's what we're going to see uh, in this short story, this short interaction. Uh, Jesus is walking through a town and he, uh, he sees these two blind guys and, and, uh, and he heals them. And I think what we see is a beautiful picture of really the love of God today. Now, um, one, of the, one of the reasons why as we kind of think about this, uh, one of the reasons why the early church exploded in growth those first two or three centuries is because what the gospel does is you begin to understand grace and how God relates to us and gives us this gift of grace. As you begin to really contemplate that, what it does is it just levels the playing field. It just flatlines all of these artificial distinctions that we, that we put up between us and other people to separate us from other people. And so what you had in, in the early churches in the first two to three centuries, you, you, had, you had men and women worshiping together. You, you had Jews and Gentiles worshiping together. You had the rich and poor worshiping together. You, you, had, you, know, you, you had blue collar and white collar worshiping together. And it's this beautiful picture of the family of God coming together regardless of these, these kind of external super, superficial factors. In fact, I was, I was recently talking to a friend of mine who had spent some time in prison. And uh, I asked him, how did he become a Christian? And he was sharing with me that he became a Christian in prison. And I said, well, how in the world did that happen? And he was telling me in the prison that he was in, uh, there, were, uh, there were blacks, there were whites and there were Hispanics and they absolutely hated each other. And they were all just their own separate groups or gangs, if you will. And there was just all kinds of violence and infighting in between these crowds. And, and, and uh, so the prison population was just is so divided. And so he said one day he, he just decided that he was going to go to a chapel service. And inside the chapel service, you had, you had white guys and black guys and Hispanic guys worshiping Jesus together in love and in, in unity. And, he, and you know what he said? He said, that's what I want. I want that kind of love. And that day he gave his life to Christ. And so that is, that is the reality of God's grace. That is what the gospel does when you begin to really internalize it and embrace it in our lives. In fact, the apostle Paul says it like this. This is Galatians 3.28. Let me just read it to you. Paul says it like this. He says, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free, he says. There's no male or female, for, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so what he's talking about there is this, that all people matter to God. That we judge people 
people's worth by these external factors, but God doesn't because God knows every single person has infinite worth and value and dignity. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that great? And that's, that's exactly what we see. And, it's, and the reason why every single person, whether they're born or unborn or whether they're black or white, rich or poor, male or female, has infinite worth is because every single person is made in the image and in the likeness of God. And here's the thing. God wants us to see other people the same way that he does. He wants us to love other people the way uh, that he loves them. And so we've been in this series called Raise Them Up. This is a kind of a family series and I'm really speaking to everybody in the room today. But I want to challenge parents to really think about as you are discipling and raising young children, as you're raising your students, to teach them about every single person being made in the image of God and having infinite worth and value in the eyes of God. And so one of the best ways to teach that is you living it out. You absolutely living it out. So what I want to do today is I want to read to you this passage of Scripture. It's Matthew 20. It's verses 29 uh, through 33. Let me, let me ask you, if you're willing and able, let's stand together uh, out of respect for the Word of God today. We'll begin in verse 30, and it says this, And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they had heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And the crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight, and they followed him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God. It stands forever. You may be seated. Now, what I love about this story is I think what, what we see in this story is we see four ways that you and I can love like Jesus. Because really, that's what we're talking about. We're really getting a picture of how Jesus loved people. And so as we grow in our relationship with God, we want, we want to love people the way Jesus loves people. Have you realized that there are people in your life that need your love? Do you realize that there are people that you go to work with? There are people that you live next to? Maybe there are people that you live with. There are people that, um, you know, that you're in groups with that, that need your love. And a lot of times the reality is, we don't really see people that way. We don't see people as needing our love because they're different from us. And, and so they, maybe they're a different, they have a different political perspective or maybe they are of a different race or a different economic standing or what have you. And so, so many times we just kind of write them off and we don't love people the way Jesus loves people. Let me give you four ways to do this very practically right from the scripture how do you love people? Let me give you four ways. Number one, would you write this down? Number one, love listens. Love, love listens. Now you're like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, love, you know, love is, a, love is really God. Love is, you know, because God is love, when we choose to love other people, we are, we are reflecting the image of God. 
And so love is the very foundation of every single command in Scripture. And so God calls us to love. And a practical way to do this is through love, listening to people. Just listening to them. Just giving people your undivided attention and giving them your focused attention and what it, what it means to really hear other people. Now, people will ask, they'll say, well, what do, you, what do you listen for? And I think that's pretty simple. You listen for their heart. You listen for pain in their life. And so there are a lot of people, especially right now in the middle of 2020 with everything that's going on in our world today, there are a lot of people in pain today. Can I get an amen to that? There are a lot of people hurting. And so what you want to do is you want to listen for someone's heart. You want to listen for the pain that they're going through in their life. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Look with me again at verse 30. We're going to kind of just walk through this. And so it, Matthew records this. He says, behold, there were two men sitting beside the road or sitting on the roadside. Now, these two guys are absolutely marginalized. They're not a part of the whatever's going on right there. They're off to the side. They're kind of spectators because they've not been deemed worthy to be a part of what's going on. They're just kind of considered worthless. So they're, they're on the side. They're, they're on the, the margin, basically, on the side of the road. And it says this, and when they had heard that Jesus was passing by. Now, you guys, the stuff that Jesus did just spread all over, all over Israel, like a, just went viral, right? Just faster than any Facebook post could go. Because people were hearing everything that Jesus was doing. They, they heard everything that he was saying and people wanted to, wanted to be near him. And so they had heard that Jesus was passing by. Generally speaking, whenever Jesus was traveling somewhere, there were a lot of people following him. And he would enter into a village and all of a sudden you had a couple thousand people there just like that. And that's exactly what is happening here. So, so these guys, these two blind guys are on the roadside. They know that Jesus is coming by. And so uh, they cried out, it says, Lord, have mercy on us. One of the things that they had heard is that Jesus heals people and they wanted to be healed. And so they're crying out to him, Lord, heal us or Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And notice the reaction of the crowd in verse 31. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. Now, the thought here is, is that these, the crowd doesn't want them interfering with Jesus because the crowd views these guys as unimportant and worthless. They don't deserve to be recipients of the mercy of God. And so they're telling them, to be quiet. They're telling them basically to sit down and, and shut up. And so, but notice what Matthew says. He tells us something else. He says, um, you know, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more. You see that? You see where it says that? They cried out even more. So what you have is you have the crowd telling them to be silent as, they're, as these two guys are shouting and they're crying out, shouting all the more. Now, why did they shout? Because they were tired of being marginalized. They shouted because they were tired of being treated as worthless. They shouted out because they didn't want to be blind anymore. And what you see is they're in pain. They're in pain. They're hurting over this. And so a lot of times when people are hurting, what do they do? they shout out. When people are in whatever kind of pain, 
many times they'll just simply, they will simply shout out. There's a lot of shouting in our culture today. Have you guys seen that? Have you heard that? And maybe one of the reasons why we are living in the age of outrage is because we're more connected than we've ever before to people's pain. And what we need is to see people and to hear people. And and what that does is that really elicits compassion from us. Instead of responding with more rage, we can can respond with love. And that's exactly, that is exactly what Jesus is doing. And so Jesus is going to show us he hears their pain. That he's listening to them. that That he is dialed into them. He knows that there's pain underneath the surface. And I just wonder, the people in your sphere of influence, what kind of pain is underneath the surface in their lives? You know, I was uh, reading uh, about Max Lucado. He, Max Lucado is a pastor, and he was sharing uh, the story of a guy named uh, Li Fuyan. He's a, he, Li is a Chinese guy, and, and uh, he struggled with, with headaches, just throbbing headaches for four years. And so this, this Chinese guy went to every doctor he could go to. No one could remedy his headaches. And finally, a doctor ordered an x-ray. And do you know what they found? They found a four-inch knife blade lodged in his skull. And that was causing his throbbing headaches. No kidding. And so something had happened where he had been uh, accosted by somebody. Somebody tried to rob him. He, got, he, he suffered a laceration in his jaw and apparently the knife broke off and lodged in his, in, his, uh, in his skull and the EMTs didn't notice it. And he lived with this in his head for four years. And so that was, that was the cause of so much of the pain that he, was, that he was going through in his life. And the point of it is this, that we can't live with foreign objects in our bodies And we certainly can't live with foreign objects in our souls. And if somebody took an x-ray of your soul, what would they find? Would they find remorse because of a relationship that's gone bad in the past? Would they find just regret over some choice that you made? Would they find shame in your life? because of some life-dominating sin, because of some addiction, because of just temptation that you can't resist in your life? What is it beneath the surface? You see, guilt and shame can cause so many problems when when it gets embedded in us and it affects everything that you do. And so these guys are in that kind of pain. And what I want you to notice is they call out to Jesus and Jesus hears them. He listens to them. And you see this in verse 32. And stopping, it says, Jesus called them. And so they're crying out. I'm sure there's probably about a thousand people in this little crowd. They're calling out over the crowd and Jesus hears. He listens to, he listens to the cry of their heart. And, uh, and it, it stops the whole story just, just kind of right there. Now, what I love about the scripture and what I love about the picture of God that scripture paints for us is the Bible says this, that God always hears the cry of the heart. He always hears the cry of the heart. And you see this in Psalm 37, verse 14, the righteous cry for help and the Lord hears and delivers them 
out of their troubles. And so, and so really what the psalmist reminds us of is that God always hears the cry of the heart. What is it? What's the cry of the heart for you today? Maybe the cry of your heart is, why can't I get a job? Why, why can't we have kids? You know, why can't, why can't I get married? And it may seem like no one else is listening. But I want to tell you, church, God hears you. God is listening. He always hears the cry of the heart. Jesus is so spiritually attuned to these guys that he hears them over the noise of the crowd And so no one else paid attention to them, but Jesus did. What a beautiful picture of how how love listens in our Savior. And I think the question for you and for me is this. Are you listening to the cries of people in your life? Are you listening? Do you have a listening ear to people that you work with, to people that you go to school with? There are all kinds of people that are hurting all around us, and you're never going to be able to love people until you're really willing to listen. You know, one of the things that I think we need to do as, as, as white American Christians is we need to go to our uh, black brothers and sisters and we need to ask them, tell me about your experience with racism. See, we don't need to be listening to the media. We need to be listening to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to ask them, what's your experience? Help me to understand what you go through on a, on a daily basis. I think that's a huge posture. You know why? Because love listens. And, and so that's exactly what we see in Jesus. Secondly, let me tell you this. Love not only listens, but love stops. Look at verse 32. Again, notice what Jesus does. So he hears them and Matthew tells us in verse 32, and stopping Jesus, Jesus calls them. And so these guys have been shouting And so Jesus and his crowds walking by, Jesus listens, he hears them, and then he stops dead in his tracks. Absolutely dead in his tracks. No forward motion. Everything just comes to a halt and he stops and turns to see these these two blind guys. Everything stops right in the middle of the road. Now I'll tell you that there are a number of books written, devotional books written on the steps of Jesus. You know, books like, hey, what you need to do to follow in Jesus' footsteps, you know, follow the steps of Jesus. All of these devotional books that kind of study all the different steps of Jesus. Do you know what I think would be more interesting? What I think would be more interesting is not studying the steps of Jesus, but studying the stops of Jesus. You guys tracking with me? Like go through the Gospels and just notice all of the times that Jesus stopped. What's the one common denominator in all of the stops of Jesus? What's the one common denominator? People. He allowed people to interrupt him. He allowed people to slow him down. He allowed people to stop him. And I think the point that we want to see from this is this, that if you're going to be used by God, you've got to let God, you've got to allow God to interrupt your daily life. Because oftentimes what God does is he comes to us in the interruptions of our day. The very moments that we think, oh, God couldn't be in this because I'm just too busy today. That's when God comes to us. There are more opportunities for you and I to love people in the interruptions of our day than really all the scheduled appointments that we have in any given day. Love happens 
when we are interrupted. And the reason why that's important is because I think for all of us, what hinders us from loving people is we're just too busy. We're just way too busy. And we're doing this and we're doing that and we don't have time for this and we don't have time for that. And what we find is our soul is drying up because we're really not living our purpose, which is to love God and love and love people. And I think parents really struggle with this. I think parents really struggle with busyness because our kids are so involved in different activities and sports and, you know, different things and uh, after school kind of um, stuff that our kids do. And it's just tough because we're so busy. But I want to challenge our parents to really think through that if, if you don't have time to love someone, if you don't have enough margin in your life to just call time out and say, you know what, we need, to, we need to go with this interruption, then it could be that you're just way too busy. You're way too busy. And so, and so a lot of dads will say to me, Scott, I just really struggle being a spiritual leader in my house. I really struggle with that. I don't know how to do that. Well, it's really very simple. You see someone in need, you know, you get interrupted and you, and you love them right? You stop what you're doing and you love them. And then your kids are like, dad, I got to be at practice. Dad, I got to be at school. What are we doing here? And you know what you can say, dad? We're loving people. And you do that for 18 to 19 to 20 years. And I guarantee, I guarantee that they, it'll catch them and it, and, uh, it will impact their life. So love listens, love stops. Here's number three, love also asks. Love also asks. Look with me at verse 32. So we see this again. So in stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Now, I I like this a lot because we're taking the time to listen. We are stopping what we're doing. And then we ask, what do you need? We let them drive the agenda. We let them guide the conversation. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. He is putting these two guys in the driver's seat. What do you want me to do for you? And another interesting study in the Gospels is how many times Jesus asks people this question. What do you want me to do for you? Now, church, listen to me. He's the son of God. I think he's got a good idea what they really need, right? He knows that. But what he's doing is he's, he wants them to articulate it. He wants them to speak it. He wants them to... To, to, to really let it out. What do you want me to do for you? He's not making any assumptions about what they need. He wants to hear it from them. You know, this is something that, that we really learned uh, as a church 10 years ago. We, many of you know we do, we do mission work in, in Haiti and uh, we adopted a community uh, 10 years ago called Shadrach and uh, just a very poor village up in the mountains, and uh, we've done numerous trips there. But when we, when we were really just exploring the possibility of finding a community and adopting a community, our, our posture was, we just want to hear you. We just want to listen. What is it that you need? And so we talked to the community leaders, and we asked them, you tell us what you need. Tell us what the vision of your community is. We didn't want to come in and say, you know what, we know what you need. You just need to listen to us. But we had to take a listening posture. We had to ask the question, what is it that we could do to possibly help? And that's exactly what Jesus does. And you see the answer to Jesus' question here in verse 33. They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. 
let our eyes be opened. And so, obviously, that was, that's not a very surprising answer in this case, but that's the answer that, that Jesus gets. And so we see here that love listens, love stops, love asks, and then lastly, and this may be the most challenging church for us, love does. Love does. After you've listened, after you've stopped, after you've asked, then do. Do what you can at that point. And so you see a classmate at school who's really discouraged and down. You ask them, how can I help you? And then they answer and you do it. You see, love is more than just words. Love is an action. Love is something we do. It is a verb. It involves movement. It involves doing something on someone else's behalf. That is what we see Jesus doing. Look at what he does in verse 34. And Jesus in pity, in other words, in compassion, he touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and they followed him. And so Jesus touches them Jesus ministers to them. Jesus serves them and it changes their life. And maybe you and I can't heal someone's blindness, but let me tell you, church, we can touch them with the love of Jesus. And that's what love does. It finds a way to serve. It finds a way to meet a need, whatever that need is. Now, let me, let me just ask a question and you know, get you thinking about this. Why did Jesus touch their eyes? You ever, you ever just kind of wondered, well, why, didn't, why did he touch their eyes? Why did he have to touch their eyes? I mean, Jesus has the power. All he has to do is say, you know, blindness be gone and they're, they're going to be able to see. Why did he touch their eyes? Well, I think, I think the reason why he's doing that is because physical touch communicates love. It communicates that that person is a person of worth and value and dignity. And so he didn't have to touch their eyes physically, but he probably had to touch their eyes emotionally and spiritually to convey the love of God to these guys who had lived for so long feeling feeling unloved. And so so what Jesus is doing is he's looking past the externals and he's looking to their heart. And he's wanting to touch their heart. He's looking to the internals. And I just would challenge you and myself included in this, that this is the kind of love that we need today. This is really the love that our, our society is missing. And I think as Christ followers, we can, take, we can take the lead in this. So who is it in your life that needs your love? Who is it right now? I want you to get that person, get that name of that person in your mind and heart. Let me, let me just kind of throw some questions at you just to kind of get you thinking about this. Who in your life has practical needs? Who is it? They might need a babysitter. They might need a meal. They might need tech support because you're really good with computers. You know, they, they might need, um, I don't know, they might need their leaves raked this fall. Who is it in your life that has practical needs that you can meet? See, love does. Love meet those needs. And if you want to be a spiritual leader in your family, take your kids with you as you meet those needs. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah, get your kids working on this. Not only that, but let me ask you this. Who in your life is lonely? Who in your life is lonely? A couple of weeks ago, I talked about that we're facing an epidemic of loneliness. Who needs your friendship right now? 
Who needs your friendship? Years ago, you know, the Beatles wrote a song. All the lonely people, where do they come from? All the lonely people, where do they belong? Kind of interesting couple of questions, isn't it? Talking about the loneliness in the world that existed even 40 years ago. Let me tell you where they belong. They belong in church. They belong right here where they can be a part of a community of people who love them, who pray for them, who encourage them, who can be there for them. That's where they belong right here. And you and I, in that case, are the evangelists, the spreaders of the good news. Let me ask you this. Here's another question. Who in your life is grieving? Who in your life is grieving right now? They've lost someone close to them. Church, if you haven't experienced this yet, you're going to experience it. If you live long enough, you're going to lose someone that you love. And it's going to hurt. And so the body of Christ is to be here to spread that comfort and that grace, the grace of God, the comfort of God to others. I, I, I love how Paul says this just right out of the chute in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This is how he begins. Uh, he talks about this. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, right? The God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. Now, why does he comfort us in our affliction? Well, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. You see that? With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So what he's saying there is this, that God never wastes a hurt in your life. And so there are people in your life that you can minister to that are grieving right now. And so the biggest question that I get as a pastor a lot of times in that scenario is, Pastor Scott, I don't know what to say. So I'm just kind of insecure about loving on someone who's grieving. Well, let me tell you something, church. You don't need to say anything. You don't need, you just need to be there. Your presence speaks volumes. So say something with your presence. Let me, let me, let me kind of close with these last two. Who in your life is angry? Who in your life is angry? We live in the age of outrage today. This should be pretty easy for you to, for you, for you to diagnose. Who in your life is angry? If we just love people who love us, then what good is that? Jesus has called us to love our enemies and to love people who are angry. And what we need to do is respond uh, to to people's anger and love. And so Peter says it like this, do not repay evil for reviling or evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to you, this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. And so, and so God didn't respond to us with anger, but he responded to us in mercy and grace. And then lastly, who in your life needs a second chance? Who in your life needs a second chance. Do you, do you know anybody like that? They've just kind of gotten halfway through life and they're like, man, I need a mulligan on this. I need a do-over. We have really good news, church. God is the God of do-overs. God is the God of a fresh start. See, we've, we've all missed the mark. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all missed the standard. We're all sinners, right? And what is it that we all have in common? Through the grace of God, we've been given a fresh start, a second chance. Who is it in your life that needs to hear that good news? Share that with them. You see, we love because God first loved us. We love because God listened to our heart cry. 
we love because God went to the cross on your behalf and on mine. And so we have a chance to live this out every single day and to love like Jesus. And when you and I are living it, chances are your kids are going to catch it. Let's pray together. So God, we give you praise and we, we give you glory that the word of God is so practical. Lord, we see pictures all throughout the gospels of your love. And I pray, God, that we would be men and women and students and children who love. That we would be salt and light in a, in a flavorless world, in a dark world, God. And so I just pray you would fill us up, that you would help us to see the great grace we have received. That we are beneficiaries of your love and your mercy. That you've touched us. That you've changed us. That you've met our need. And so, Lord, it's not out of an empty tank that we give, but Lord, it's, a, it's an overflowing cup. And so, God, may we May we just spill out the love of God to everybody that we come in contact with. May we do it joyfully. May we do it for your glory. And we thank you and praise you and all of God's people said, amen.